Well, I trust that you had a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving. Hopefully you were with family or friends and, and uh, take some time, took some time to just be grateful. And I hope that it's not just the one time a year. hope it's a lifestyle. I, I am so absolutely blown away with God's blessings in my life and my family and my kids, grandkids, son-in-laws and future son-in-laws. And, and I'm so thankful for our church and, and we're just so incredibly grateful. Uh, this week, I'm also very, very uh, thankful for our uh, Christmas design and setup team here at Grace Point Church. Just did a wonderful job and uh, helps, helps you uh, celebrate Christmas even more, hopefully, that. Well, I don't know if you know this, uh, there are some great buts in the Bible. Yeah, I said that correctly. There are some great buts in the Bible. I'm not talking about someone's gluteus maximus. I'm talking about a passage, a verse is going one direction, and then there's that little word, but. That completely changes the course of that verse, of that story. Now, let me illustrate it in this way. When I was a youth pastor at this church in the 90s, um, I took about 80 high schoolers and uh, the youth staff that I had at that time, and we went to the very last Mariners game in the kingdom, the very last game completely sold out, 65 plus thousand. There was, wasn't an empty chair in, in the entire dome. And they're playing against the Texas Rangers. And I did something I rarely do at sporting events. Because I had to go to the bathroom. I had to leave the game mid-inning. And it was, it was a top of one of the innings. And, and uh, so I, and I go down, down the well and I experience something for the first time at a Mariners game before. There was a line, a long line for the men's room, all right, a long line. Thankfully, though, God provided these speakers, and through the speakers, a Hall of Fame Mariner announcer Dave Niehaus was telling the play-by-play, so I felt like I wasn't missing anything, I thought at the time. So I'm in line waiting, and I hear this, uh, you know, this, something like this. He said, okay, Juan Gonzalez is up to the plate, here's the pitch, and you heard a crack. You heard the ball hitting the bat, and you hear Dave Niehaus going, ball hit to deep to center field, Griffey's going back, Griffey's going back, Griffey jumps, and I didn't hear anything. Because the sound exploded, I thought there was a bomb that went off, and I went, I think I missed something incredible. This is what I missed. He went over the wall, caught the ball, and brought it back. Griffey. It was going one direction, and Griffey goes, uh-uh, not in my house. And it went a different direction, and they won the game and all. It was fantastic. Now, let me show you, and I do, this does fit in my message today, right? Um, let me show you the greatest butt in the Bible. It's in Romans. It, said this, it says this, the wages of sin is death. I am so glad that little word is here. This word, one little word changes everything because if it was just the wages or what we have earned because of our sin is death, period, I'm depressed. There's no hope, right? But, here's the rest of the verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Is not, that not the greatest but in the Bible? It's fantastic. It's going one direction, but goes another direction. 
And so I had, seri- I had uh, the series and I expanded it. I was a youth pastor in two different churches and uh, I, I got, get these comments on Facebook or, or something. There's uh, these students, former students who are now having teenagers of themselves, I can't believe I'm this old, saying, Barry, I don't remember many lessons that you taught. I'm like, don't tell me that. <laughs> and they say, I remember this about youth group. You loved candy and you loved your girls. And I love the series, Great Butts in the Bible. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm writing, I'm putting put it in a book, it's a great Bible study. Now, here's why I'm t- telling you this, because we are at the very end of the movie, if you're new with us, we're at the very end of the movie of this series in Genesis called Timeless Truth. And in this end of the this, this story at the end, you're gonna see a number of great buts in the Bible, in this story in Genesis. And it's gonna be, but God, but God. This was happening but God, but God. Last Sunday, we're, we're in this story, 14 chapters, primarily about one individual, Joseph. We talked about half of it, and uh, the story of Joseph, and, and we really talked about the sovereignty of God. And when life is hard, and there's pain, and there's disappointment, and shock, and what, what Joseph went through, it's like, that's horrible, but there's the sovereignty of God. And when, we, it's hard for us to understand the sovereignty of God, because we filter life and circumstances through one dimension, what we know, what we see, and what we feel. And if the life and circumstances are bad and painful and, and horrible, we come to an inaccurate conclusion that God doesn't love us, God doesn't care about us. But the sovereignty of God is this, that God is in control of all things that he created, including every single one of us, but God doesn't have one dimension that he filters your life and my life and circumstances through. It's the, through a divine 3D dimension. God is above our thoughts, above our feelings, above everything, and he sees things that we don't see. He knows things that we don't know. He feels things that we don't know. He knows what's going to happen. And in Joseph's situation, God was sovereignly moving the pieces around his chessboard for a good reason. But in the moment, for many years actually, Joseph didn't experience good. He experienced pain and hurt. Today we're gonna to look at, close this book up with the freedom that is found in forgiveness. Freedom that is found in forgiveness. Joseph, let me bring you up to speed, Joseph, if you weren't here or you're new to Bible study. Joseph was the baby of the family. He had 10 older brothers. Can you imagine that? 10 older brothers. But Joseph was the spoiled brat, favored child of his father. And at first that irritated his brothers, but their irritation turned into bitterness and their bitterness turned into hatred. And this favored, spoiled child, Joseph, you know, would tell his brothers, he had these dreams, really cool dreams, and every dream ended with the brothers bowing down to him, and, and they were just like, you punk, you know, it's, it's in the Hebrew, I'm sure, sure somewhere, it's like, you're a punk, you brat, whatever, we're not going to, like, you're going to rule over us? We're not going to bow down before you? Then one day when he was 17 years old, they were out on a trip taking care of the animals and the, and the, and the cattle and all that. They see Joseph coming, and they said, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Reuben, one of the brothers, said, no, 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 guys, seriously, let's not do this. Let's not do this. And then Judah had an idea. Okay, great. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him, for after all, he is our brother. So let's sell him. And they sold him to a caravan going to Egypt. And Joseph 
went to, uh, it was bought by a guy named Potiphar, and he was in charge of, you know, pretty high position with Pharaoh, and, and then his, his wife, when he was out of town, he kept, she kept hitting on him, he kept refusing her, kept hitting on him, kept refusing her, and then she got jilted, and when Pharaoh came back, she said, your Hebrew slave tried to rape me, tried to sexually assault me. So Joseph was thrown into prison. And all through this story that we talked about last week, a phrase kept showing in the scripture, the Lord was with him. On the surface, like, (laughs) no, he wasn't. If the Lord was with him, he'd be at home and his brothers would be slaves. The Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with Joseph. God was sovereignly in control. Turn to Genesis 45, if you would, Genesis 45. Now, it's going to take, I'm going to take a little bit of time to, before we get there because there's a lot of information I need to cover in a short period of time. Last week we left off, was Joseph was in prison and his best friend was the warden, which is not a good sign. And he had been there tw- 12 long years, but in prison it says the Lord was with him. One day, something unique happened. Two guys show up from the palace and now they're prisoners. The cupbearer, he was the dude who would drink the, 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 whatever was in the cup, offer to the Pharaoh in case there might be poison in it so the cupbearer would die. That's not a very good job security uh, you know, the, uh, occupation. And so now he's, he's in prison and also Pharaoh's cook. Maybe he cooked the, the Thanksgiving turkey. Anyways, these both guys show up and now they're in the dungeon. And Joseph is overseeing it. One day early, they come out, come, and the next morning they look down, and Joseph says, what's, what's going on? And they both said, hey, we had, we had these weird dreams, and we don't know what it means. And Joseph says, you know, tell me your dream, and I, I, I can I probably interpret your dream. So they each, you know, told their story. When the, when the cupbearer told his story, at the very end, Joseph said, this, this is what, what it is. The three in your, story, in your dream, the three there means in three days you're gonna be restored to the palace. You're gonna get your job back. You'll walk out of here. Well, obviously he's excited and hope that happens. And and Joseph says this, so when you go back to the palace, would you remember me? Would you bring my my situation, my my cause up to Pharaoh because I was ripped out of the land of the Hebrews and now I'm in this this prison falsely accused. I I, I wanna get out. I'm sure the guy goes, oh, absolutely. If it comes true, man, I'm your guy. Well, the cook is like, okay, well, here's my story. And Joseph goes, okay, you also had three in your dream, but it's not good news. In three days, you won't go back to the palace. In three days, you will die. And sure enough, in three days, the cupbearer went back to the palace, and the cook was killed. Then there's a very sad verse at the very, very end of chapter 40. It says this, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. You ever been forgotten? You ever been forgotten by friends? They invited everybody else but you? You ever been felt like God has forgotten you? See, when we feel forgotten, that, that's a different kind of pain. And that's a pain that can force people, especially with God, to say, I'm out. I don't, you know, I don't know if there is a God. I was completely overlooked and forgotten, and it hurts. It kind of hurts. Two years later, Pharaoh wakes up and he's wigged out because he had two 
wicked, crazy, weird dreams. Had a dream, woke up, went to bed again, went to sleep again, woke up, another dream. So he's telling people in this palace, man, I had, this crazy, I had two crazy dreams. I, I, I don't understand. He gathers some people around. This is what it, the dream was. And what does it mean? They're like, we have no clue. And the cupbearer overhears this and goes, doing, oh my goodness. I have forgotten. And Pharaoh, there's this guy, when, I, when you could put me into the, into the prison, um, I had a crazy dream, and there's this guy named Joseph, and me and the cook, you know, we had these dreams, and he interpreted accurately our dreams. He told us what was going to happen, and it happened. Well, Pharaoh's like, well, get that boy out of, out of prison. So they went there, and imagine Joseph saying, uh, you're going to the Pharaohs, uh, you, you need a shower, you've got to shave, and here's some new clothes. And he arrives in the palace... And Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. And this is, this is Joseph's moment. I mean, this is his destiny. This is a monumental moment of him saying, I'm your guy. Of course I can. Tell me your dream. I'm your guy. I can do it. And Joseph doesn't say that. In fact, Joseph says this, I cannot do it. Like, Joseph, come on, man, it's right here. I cannot do it, Joseph replied. But God can. My God can interpret your dream. My God who allowed me to be ripped out of my family and be sold as a slave. My God who put me in Potiphar's house and then I was falsely accused of rape and put me in prison. My, my God can do that. Do you, do you understand the, 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 the power in this verse? He could have said, I'm your guy, but he gives credit to God. And he says, tell me your dream, tell me your dream, and I will tell you what God says it is. So, so Pharaoh says, this is dream number one, and then I went back to sleep, and this is dream number two. And Joseph says, okay, the first dream, the seven in that dream means the next seven years are gonna be a bumper crop. I mean, it's gonna be absolutely incredible harvest. Harvest like we've never seen. And so, so you need to, um, you know, this is, what, this is what it is. And then the second dream, there's also seven in that dream. That means after the seven years of bumper harvest, there's gonna be seven years of incredible drought. I mean, this is nasty drought. There's no harvest. There, there's no fruit. It's horrible. And instead of just saying, there it is, Joseph offers advice. I mean, this is the leader of the world, the known world of the time. Pharaoh's like the top person. And so he says, here's your dream. By the way, here's what I think you should do. I'm like, you are a bold young man. He goes, what you need to do is you need to find someone that is very organized, that during the seven years of harvest can really strategize and, and da 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 so that when the seven years come, you guys are all prepared. And that, that's what you, I think you should do. And Pharaoh goes, I choose you, Joseph. I choose you. The prophecy, I and mean, the dreams haven't even been fulfilled yet. There's a sovereign God at work here, people. Are you seeing it? God has been sovereignly putting the chess pieces all around and in place. And in one day, half a day, Joseph went from the dungeon as a prisoner, now he's the palace and second in control of the Egyptian empire. Wow. Seven years come, bumper crop, 
Joseph organized on different cities, all these gathering bins and you know, barns for, for grain. They, they said they had so much crop, they didn't have enough containers to, to, to con- contain all of the harvest. And the seven years came and they fed, you know, they were prepared for everything. And now they're two years into the seven years of, of famine. This is a nasty, regional, crazy um, famine. And they were feeding their people. And it was so bad outside of Egypt that people were caravaning to Egypt. Hey, we hear you have grain. We hear you have food. Here, we'll pay you. And they were selling some of the surplus. So nine years after he got out of prison, now he's in the palace, nine years later, when groups were come from other countries, they showed up to Joseph's place. And nine years later, 10 Hebrews came, and as soon as they came into his presence, they bowed. They did not recognize who Joseph was, but Joseph recognized them. They were his brothers, his 10 older brothers, and they're bowing down. He's in full Egyptian garb. He has a translator. He's using a translator. And so he begins to ask questions, and they start, where are you from? And do you have a father? He wanted to find out. Finds out his father's still alive. He got emotional, had to leave the room and come back after he composed himself and started asking questions and, and, and find out about them and find out about the situation. So he gave them all the, the grain. They paid in silver coins, and he had those loading up the, the, you know, the big bags of, of grain to put the bag of silver back in one of them. They take off thinking, man, sweet, we got, we got food for our family and kids and grandkids. And then the soldiers showed up and said, hey, uh, we're missing your payment. We think you stole it. We're like, well, we didn't do that. Let me see. They opened the bags and they find the bag of silver. No, 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 we, we didn't do this. We didn't do this. You guys got to go back. They face Joseph, who's acting all upset. You guys are spies. No, 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 we're not. No, we're not. And he said, here's the deal. You need to leave someone, one of, one of you need to stay here. Because in their story, they told that their father now had a new baby, a new son. His name was Benjamin. And when, and when Joseph heard that, he had to leave the room again and come back composed. And he said, here's the deal, because you know, we think you stole the money. One of you need to stay here. You need to go home and the only way that this brother gets released is you come back with Benjamin. And in their minds are racing, oh man, there's no way dad's gonna let that happen. So they go home, here's the food, dad, um, here's the deal. One got, had to stay, I think Simeon had to stay, and the only way he gets out of prison is that when we go back, Benjamin needs to come. And Jacob goes, no way, I've already lost one son. I'm not losing Benjamin. Well, when the food ran out, now they're hungry. They go back to their dad and say, Our, your grandchildren will die. We will die. We have to go back. Only then did Jacob relent and said, you can take Benjamin. One of the, I think it was, I think it was Judah said, over my body, I will not let anything happen to him. Over my body. So they come back. And they come back to Joseph's house, again, had no idea who he was. And when Joseph saw his young brother he never met, he had to excuse himself, 
composed, came back. I'm sure the guys are thinking, this guy's really emotional, uh, you know, weak. Um, he probably needs some counseling. He's just really emotional. And he's really interested in our family for some reason. David feeds them. And he hears them talking. They think no one understands but them, the Hebrew language. Well, Joseph's hearing everything. Everything clearly. So at the end of the meal, they said, okay, your, your, your bags of grain are, are loaded. You, know, go, go, you can go home. So they take off. And then, they, then the soldiers arrive and said, hey, someone, someone stole you know, the, the, the silver cup where you guys had dinner last night. No, no, we didn't, we didn't take it. They said, whoever's bag that silver cup is, that, that person who has that bag is going to go back and be a slave. And they go bag to bag, nothing, 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 nothing. They come to the last bag. It was Benjamin's bag. And here comes out a silver cup. The brothers freak out. They come back, rushing back. They come back into Joseph's house. They all fall down, bowing down again. And he can hear them talking about, Dad, Dad's going to die. He won't won't be able to handle this news if, if Benjamin stays here. Joseph hears all of this. He even hears Reuben telling his brothers in Joseph's presence, thinking that he, that he doesn't understand Hebrew, saying, I told you we shouldn't have sinned against, I'm talking about Joseph. We, I told you to not do this. God is paying us back. And then Judah, whose idea was to sell Joseph, comes up to Joseph, falls down on his feet and said, please, please, I beg you, please do not take Benjamin. Our father will not survive this. He's, he's already lost one son. He has no idea who's in front of him. Joseph is so overwhelmed, he cannot take it any longer. And we will pick up what's happened in chapter 45. Verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. His interpreters, his staff. It says, so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly, before he said anything, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. I mean, words spread in the palace, like that we're having an emo- emotional breakdown here. Something emotionally traumatic is happening. And I'm sure the brothers are going, man, this guy is messed up. I mean, he's so upset. This is a, this is a powerful scene. Look at verse three. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. Duh. Because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, so, and I'm thinking they're going about this fast. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives 
that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Powerful, emotional, this is 20, he's 22 years he's been, in, been in, um, in Egypt. He's either 39 or 40 years old now. And all that pent-up emotion just comes flooding out. He can no longer control, and he finally said, I am Joseph. I just would love to see a video replay of their expressions. He had to say, no, no, no the one you sold into Egypt, it's me. Come here, come close. Can you imagine what was racing through their heads? You see, Joseph had the power, he had the authority, and he had the opportunity for revenge. He could have said, I am Joseph, the one you sold into slavery that ruined my life. That for 20, you know, actually 17 years, I, was re- I, had no, I know no one here. Come close to me, because this is the last time you see my face, because I'm killing you. No one in Egypt would have blinked an eye. No one would have questioned him. They wouldn't have questioned Joseph. He had the power, he had the authority, he had the opportunity for revenge, but he did not use it, because I believe that he had already forgiven them. Here's the timeless truth that's for all of us today, is forgiveness always sets your captive heart free. Forgiveness always sets your captive heart free. You see, God in his word commands his followers to forgive those, you know, even in the Lord's prayer, who has trespassed against you, meaning you need to forgive those, it's a commandment, for those who they crossed the line with you, they were out of bounds in how they treated you and what they did to you. It's a command, forgive those as I have forgiven you. It's a command. And God is not giving us a command to forgive those who have hurt you, that have caused pain, who has rejected you, who has, who has messed up you know, your past. He's not saying I'm commanding you to forgive for their benefit. God is commanding us to forgive them for our benefit, for us, for our hearts to be released because bitterness and hurt and unforgiveness puts us in bondage. And God commands us to forgive those who have trespassed, who crossed the line, who were out of bounds for our freedom from the bondage that unforgiveness causes us. Let me, so we're all on the same page, give you the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't saying, I forget, and okay, you're sorry. Okay, I forgive you. This is what it actually means. It's a decision to cancel a debt that you were owed. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's an action step. It's a decision that I 
am owed from you. And I'm canceling it. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the debt away. It's zero. This is, this is why it's so important. Because all of us have people who owe us. So, some of you have a father. And the way they treated you, he treated you, you were, you were owed love. You were owed hugs. And that didn't come. Those didn't come. Maybe a mom that you owed a mom to treat you a certain way, but she treated you the opposite. Maybe, maybe your sibling owes you. They hurt you. They didn't sell you to Egypt, but they hurt you. Maybe it's a spouse that was unfaithful to you. You were owed faithfulness, but received unfaithfulness. Maybe an ex-spouse and what they did and what they're still doing. A former friend, a coworker you work with now that is undermining you, talking bad about you, politicizing, positioning them to be better than you and taking credit for, for your work. Forgiveness is a decision to cancel a debt that is owed. So you're here, you're, you're, this is your life, and God knows where he wants to take you. God knows the destination, even the destiny that he wants you to have. But something will hinder movement where God wants you to go, and that hindering is unforgiveness. God knew, Joseph, you're hurting, you're 17 years old, your life turned upside down in an afternoon. God knew where he wanted to take Joseph and the destiny and destination that God had for him. And somewhere along Joseph's journey, my guess is in prison, Joseph made a decision to forgive his 10 brothers. And his heart was released from captivity. Nothing will hinder us from where God wants us to go like bitterness and unforgiveness. I, I find it interesting that God spends the last 14 chapters in Genesis telling a real life story of hurt, injustice, and pain. And in that pain and injustice, God said, I'm there. I'm with you. Joseph, I'm with you. And also that we see in these 14 chapters Joseph had every right to never forgiving, forgiving his brothers and he chose to do it. This is a picture of how we reject God and the nature of God is to always forgive us when we seek forgiveness. That's why God's spending so many chapters telling the story. I give you some evidences from the passage that we just read from chapter 45, evidences that I believe that Joseph had indeed forgiven his brothers. It's a, it's a good model for us, model for you, is to do this. In verse one, we see that Joseph didn't involve anybody that was not involved in his pain and hurt. That's why he said to all of his intendants, out, everybody out. He was gonna deal with his brothers one-on-one, one-on-ten actually. 
And so many times when, when, when we're hurt and stuff, we want to involve so many people that we're not involved in hurting us. Why? Because we, we, want, to, we want to feel justified in our anger and our hurt. We want, we want other people to sympathize with us. Not that we don't need some comfort and sympathy now and then, but we involve other people that we're not involved, and what happens is that we're setting them up to sin because they're going to take our offense. How could someone treat you that way? And then every time they think or see that person, they, they're sinning against that person. Joseph said, everybody out. Verse four, Joseph didn't push his brothers away. He asked them to come close to him. He could have said, that's it. I never want to see your face again. You can even go back, but you'll never come back and, and order grain again. I'm done with you. I'm dead to you. No, I am Joseph. Come, come here. Come close to me. And they're like, what? Now, I, I understand boundaries. We need healthy boundaries in certain relationships but not a hand, like never speak to me again. I, I believe Joseph's heart of forgiveness is being displayed here because he has the desire for them to come close to him. And then verse five and verse eight, Joseph had the proper perspective of God. He said, you sold me, but God sent me here. You sold me, but God sent me here. He had the right perspective. That even in the midst of hurt and pain and everything's unfair and all this injustice, he had a belief in a sovereign God that God sent me here. My brothers, you didn't. That's why he said, don't be afraid. Don't be distressed. I mean, don't, don't beat yourself up. Yeah, I, I get it, you, you sold me, but it wasn't you, it was God who sent me here. Whoa. Another example of this is found in chapter 50. Turn to chapter 50. We see that Joseph's father, Jacob, new name Israel, died because jo Joseph brought his whole family, his, his father, his brothers, their families, uh, every relative alive to, to Egypt. He set them up in the, in the, the, the sweetest neighborhood and, and took care of all their needs. Now his dad dies and all the brothers are like, uh-oh, dad's no longer here. Verse 15 says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, um, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. His brothers, now please forgive the sins of your servants, of, of, of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, I find it interesting, Joseph's reaction. He wept. Maybe he's thinking, Guys, all these years I've been taking care of you and your family and feeding you and protecting you, you, you didn't think it was genuine? You, you still think I'm bitter? I think he wept because he was sad of their fear. Verse 18, his brothers then came and there they are again. They threw themselves down before him saying, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? This is one of the greatest buts in the Bible. You intended to harm me, but God 
intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Another evidence that his attitude was humble. His spirit was, uh, I'm going to speak kindly to them. I'm going to still take care of you. Am I God? No, I'm your brother who God has put in this position. Oh, yeah, you intended it for evil and harm, but, but God, pointing to God again. But God perfectly positioned me to save lives, many, many lives. See, forgiveness always sets a captive heart free. Joseph couldn't have say, said these things if he was not free, but he was free because he forgave them. He forgave them. So I don't know who has hurt you. I don't know the mention or the sight of someone that just, even if they've passed and just the memory of them still puts a pit in your stomach. And you say, no, 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 I've forgiven, I've forgiven. Well, here's some qualifying forgiveness questions to see if we have truly forgiven. Here's the first question, if we've truly forgiven. Are you still seeking revenge? I want them to pay for what they did to me. If you're still seeking revenge, revenge, you're, you're hindering God from God doing what only God can do. Because God in Scripture says this, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And God believes in justice, but it's justice in his time, his way. And when we say, I'm going to seek for vengeance, we hinder God from doing what God wants to do. You're not forgiving if you're still seeking revenge. This is a little twist, maybe not as harsh as revenge, but still a good question. Are you still wishing them pain? Okay, I don't want revenge, but I don't, I don't really want them to succeed. Have you, this is, a, this is a hard thing to pray, have you prayed for the, those, that person, that group of people, have you prayed that God would bless them? You cannot pray that if you haven't forgiven them because we still want them to suffer a little bit, not be blessed. The third question is this, are you still bringing it up? If you're still bringing it up, discussing it, oh, remember when you did that? Remember that happened? If you're constantly bringing it up, you haven't forgiven them. The debt is not zero. You still are saying what the number is. Please don't think that us pastors, we don't have any issues of forgiveness. You know, we serve Jesus. We're human people. And I, I have had to go through all of this and then some. I mean, there, there are people that still live in this county that have wounded me and my wife deeply. But one thing that we've done together is we've gone to Proverbs and said, God, help us to guard our hearts. I don't want to get bitter. And when we have run into them, you don't forget, there's no delete button, I wish there was. You don't forget, but when there's no pit, it's like, thank you God, I'm free. That's what forgiveness brings. But nothing will hinder where God wants to take you like unforgiveness. 
Again, I find it really interesting that in 50 chapters of Genesis, the last 14 are dealing with real life sin issues, and pain and hurts and injustice. And all through that, God, the nature of God is communicating who he is. I'm with you. God is with you right now, in, even in your pain. And then the example of forgiveness and the example of Joseph really being like God and forgiving those who rejected him, because that's what God does for us when we hurt him, reject him. God does have emotions. That's why we have emotions. We're in the image of God. He does have emotions. And God is always faithful and just to forgive us when we seek it, because that's the God he is. I pray that you have heard from God today and then go seek and ask for, not even ask forgiveness, give forgiveness so that you can be set free. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we're heading into Christmas season and gifts, and I pray that the gift of forgiveness will be plentiful, that would be abundant, so that those who are giving the gift of, of forgiveness would be set free. God, I'm sensing in this room there, is, there are those who have been in bondage of bitterness and unforgiveness for decades. I pray that they would make a choice, a decision, to zero out what is owed to them for that person, for that family member, that former friend. And God set them free so that when they see that person, when they come across them, they will not have that pit of bitterness in their soul. Set them free, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We uh, thank you that if you're a guest today, thank you so much for being with us. Please stop by guest services for a gift. Really here this weekend, moving forward, is the beginning of our Christmas season, beginning tonight with our tree lighting. There's information in your program. Hope to have you here. May God bless you and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Have a good day.